evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Tuesday, March 3rd, 2015 edition of Season 2 of The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, the premier place to get all your sports news and information regarding the Yeshiva League. The Court Report generally comes to you every Sunday night at 7 p.m. and an encore presentation on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., but during the month of March, we're switching things up, and so tonight is live, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you again to our amazing sponsor, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Crown Trophy of Brooklyn has been servicing the Yeshiva League for over a decade, and if you've won a championship within that period, you've already benefited from their amazing handiwork and craftsmanship. Please give the entire gang a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your trophy and plaque needs. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, coach, official, analyst, but most of all, like you, I am a Yeshiva League fan, and I am humbled and privileged to be able to share the amazing efforts and accomplishments of these kids with you each and every week right here on The Court Report. Hey everyone, welcome again to another episode of The Court Report. Uh, welcome to our Tuesday night show. We've uh, switched things up a little bit again because of the playoffs and the championships and the scheduling and because we want you to be up to date on everything that's going on. So I started off the show telling you that it is Tuesday, March 3rd. And the truth, it is Tuesday, March 3rd. The problem is for you, Tuesday, March 3rd, me, Tuesday, March 3rd, a little different because while you're listening to this at 7 o'clock, I am sitting in my house now at around 1.30 in the morning recording this because over the weekend I was pressed into action and I will actually tonight, or right now, uh, be on my way to Jersey to ref a junior high hockey game. But not only that, because the truth is, after what happened only a few hours ago, I felt I had to get on this and actually give you everything as I'm feeling because what happened last night in Yeshiva League Hockey will go down probably in history as one of the most entertaining, fascinating, and immensely exciting nights of Yeshiva League Hockey, uh, definitely for as far back as I can remember, and I think as far back as many other people who currently involve themselves in the league can remember. Last night was phenomenal, and I'm going to give away a couple of spoilers as we before we get to hockey, but it needs to be said. Tonight's games, the two, there were three games tonight. There was DRS-TABC happening out in TABC. That was one semifinal. I know I'm spoiling. Don't, don't worry about it. We'll get into depth about the games that led up to the DRS-TABC uh, semifinal for varsity. There was Hefter SAR, and we'll get into what an amazing game that was. It was amazing, exhilarating, fascinating. Uh, it, all the words that you could use to describe something as monumental as it was, that's what it was. I'm, I know I'm leaving you hanging a bit, but trust me, it's worth it. And the same can be said for the JV game that uh, happened between Rambam and Frisch right across the street. So you had two games that were... You know, I'm going to spoil it for you. I'm going to spoil it. I'm gonna, not spoil it, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. Both these games could not be contained within 36 minutes. And so what should have been... Uh, you know, enough time to go from one game to another if you really wanted to, really didn't end up that way. And we got two immensely crazy games, two immensely crazy finishes. And because I told you before, I'm recording this at one in the morning, I think you can guess what might have happened in terms of, uh, in terms of those games tonight. I'm gonna give you, uh, just a little bit more. I, I think that, that when people look back at the, SAR after game tonight. People will say 
one of two things. Either it was a game that that we felt, I guess, almost sorry for the players for how exhausted they were at the end of it, but how exhilarated we were because, you know, we got to go home, or they're going to say that it was quite possibly the best Yeshiva playoff game of all time. Um, I... I think that the best thing to do is just get into it and talk to it as we go on. I, I almost feel sort of sorry that we do have to talk about basketball tonight because if I could just spend an hour on the action alone tonight, forget about the action that occurred over the last week. Tonight would probably take about an hour to dissect everything that that I saw, that the crowd at Hafter uh, I saw the crowd at DRS saw, and the, uh, sorry, the crowd, at, not DRS, the crowd at TABC saw, uh, the DRS TABC game, and what happened right across the street from after the Rombom game. So we're gonna jump right into it now, but, uh, I'm gonna also be honest, I got home just before starting, starting this, so the truth is, while most times I have something, a little something written out just to help me, you know, go through the games, a, a couple of notes, I have nothing. So everything that you hear from me on this is going to be pure and literally right as you know as the memories come through from what happened tonight. So we're going to start out with hockey, definitely, because there is so much to talk about. We're going to start off in the JV, uh, JV League. Let's remind you of the playoff brackets. West number four, JEC, and East number five, Hefter, with the winner facing East number one, Rambam, and West number two, Frisch, versus East number three, Flatbush. In the other side of the tree, East number four, Hank, and West number five, MTA, with the winner facing West number one, SAR, and East number two, DRS, versus West number three, TABC. Two play-in games, Hank defeated MTA 4-1, and Hafter upset JEC and Elizabeth uh, by the same score. Uh, we also know that DRS defeated TABC in an early first-round game last week 4 nothing. I want to start out with the, the Rombom Hafter game. We spoke about Frisch's 2 nothing win over Flatbush, so now it's be a question of who Frisch would await to see who they would face. So, for Hafter and Rombom, heading out to Rombom last Monday night, one day after defeating JEC, the Hafter Hawks were pressed into battle against their cross-street foes, the Rombom Ravens. Let's take you back to last year, where the Ravens and Hawks met up three times, including the semifinals, where Hafter squandered away a 2-1 lead late in the third, when Rombom Rambam would score two goals in the final frame to lock down their second championship berth. This year, the two would meet one round earlier with a trip to the semis on the line. These two teams met twice in the regular season, with Rambam winning 4-1 at home and again 8-0 in Hafter. In that 8-0 game, the Ravens gave backup netminder Benji Arie the start to stretch his legs, and he recorded a shutout. Neither Rambam nor Benji could have anticipated that regular netminder Daniel Petrokowski would be unavailable for this game as well, uh, Monday night's game, recovering from an injury. So, Arie found himself between the pipes for the Ravens in a playoff game against a hot hafter team. Would there be any rust for the Hawks, only 30 hours removed from their play-in game? Not early on, it seemed. The first period, Hafter rode the momentum of their latest play, with Rambam not having played a competitive game since late December. Uh, three minutes into the game, Ravens defenseman Zach Finkelman attempted to clear up the boards, that hit a rut, bounced back to the middle of the floor, where Shia Martin slammed it home to give the Hawks a one nothing lead. The Hawks would maintain the pace throughout the rest of the first. Now, on the other side of the first intermission, though, Rombaum found their legs and used their up-kick in play to get back to their old ways. Halfway through the period, Harry Tannen smacked the face-off out of midair, 
on net that hit half the goalie Elijah Glabach in the shoulder pads and seemingly away from the net, but Avi Orlau, charging in, picked the rebound from out of midair and put it by Glabach to tie up the game at one. The score would remain even until the end of the period, but one thing was noticeable, and that was the fatigue factor was starting to set in for the Hawks. In the third, they would finally hit that wall. A few minutes in, Jacob Kramer took a penalty, and the Ravens special teams group would capitalize. Daniel Yitzchaki took a shot that bounced off the stage behind the hafter net and rebounded to the front of the net where Tannen would put it by Glabach to give Rambam the lead. The score would remain 2-1 until after the switch. Let's remind uh, let's remind you of what happened last year. Uh, Rambam and Hafter went into the switch tied at 2. A minute later, Daniel Yitzchaki curling out put a laser to Ryan Gluck's glove side for Rambam's third goal to win that game 3-2. One year later, same opponent, same place, same time, same shot, same goal number. Yitzchaki pegged Rambam third goal by Glabach, and with the half to wear down, it would be the backbreaker. Tannen would add another with two minutes left to end the scoring at 4-1. to one. With the win, Rambam would advance to take on Frisch last night. There's a bit of irony in this meeting. The last time that these two teams faced in the playoffs was 2007. Frisch, the West number 2 seed, Rambam, the East number 3 seed. The Ravens went into Frisch twice, for those who remember uh, the fire alarm on Sharia night that caused the uh, the close down of the building and forced the postponement of the game uh, that was already six minutes old, and Rambam would take the Cougars down 5 nothing In the net, pitching the shutout that night for uh, for the Ravens, Rambam JV head coach Avi Hirschman. So this game was... I wanted to get a chance to see this game, and I figured that with the schedule that I had, I would go to the Hafter SAR game for a bit, or, you know, taking the first period there. I would find my way over to Rambam for, for a little bit, because uh, as, as most of you may know, or as some of you may not know, Rambam and have to play their games literally right across the street from each other. So it's like it's a hundred yard dash from the edge of the Hafter gym, the new gym, to the door of Brandeis, which is where Rambam plays their games, which is attached to Rambam. So I figured being that close, I get a chance to see a little more of this game. Yeah, I got a chance to see. You'll find out why later on. I got a chance to see only five minutes of this game. But from what I saw, honestly, and from what I heard from everybody else, Frisch stepped up and really dominated this game. They 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 dominated play, dominated possession, dominated shots on net. Daniel Petrakowski coming back after injury really put on a show keeping Frisch away from the uh, away from the net. And early second period, Tannen took took a shot from midcourt, hit Charlie Freilish in the pads, saw a bounce over and trickle in to give Rambam a one nothing lead. But Rambam would not have the lead for long. A few minutes later, Frisch would climb back into a tie on a goal by Joe Tropp to even the score at one. Frisch would continue to pressure Rambam the rest of the way and look to have scored the go-ahead goal with only three minutes left, but the referees did not agree, and the game would go to overtime. Keep that in mind. As I said, 36 minutes would not contain, and this would not be the only overtime of the night. And if you want to have a little spoiler as to the other game we're going to talk about later on, it would not be the longest game of the night either. So in the extra session, Frisch continued to pelt Petro with shot after shot, but the goalie would not yield 
and with a few minutes left in the extra session, we would eventually reach our conclusion. It's hockey, as we talked about the go-ahead star of last year's semifinal win over Hafter, picked up a bouncing ball in his own zone, took two steps, and unloaded a two-third court shot that whizzed by Freilich into the net, and the Ravens would be going back to the finals for the second year in a row as a uh, as an original Ravens member, the uh, member of the original Ravens team, shepping a little bit of Nachas, but remaining impartial for most because, as you know, I gotta bring you this news. So I, you know, congratulations to the Ravens, great job, and looking forward to seeing you in a great championship game this coming Sunday. Going back to the other bracket, DRS advanced already, so now the question would be who their semifinal opponent would be. Not only would we find out, but we would also have the semifinal contest early last week. I'm going to start off with SAR Hank that happened last Monday night. Now, i got to tell you, like I have said, this was a fun game for me because I got the call to do some commentary for this game. I I got the phone call because... SAR generally has their varsity players do the commentary for the JV game, and their JV players do the commentary for the varsity game. This time around, the varsity players would be unavailable because of the structure of the night. So SAR and uh, where they honored, I felt very honored to get the call from them. And for the JV game, I had the call with uh, with Henry Kolb, eighth grader Henry Kolb, uh, goalie of the future at SAR, and I, I had a ton of fun. I haven't uh, called a game in quite a number of years. I think the last time I called a a hockey game might have been. Uh, could it have been the the 2008 champion? Uh, I don't. I think I definitely have done one since then. But I believe the last full game that I did, and I actually did that game on my own, was the 2008 championship or 2000 and 2009 championship, possibly with Hafter and DRS, uh, and the one where you have the where you have the call at the beginning of our show on the uh, on the on the intro song, uh, but. This was by far one of the most fun nights and one of the most fun playoff games. I've had the 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 work that goes into it um, makes it a whole lot of fun when you actually look back and you see what the finished product was. I hope that Henry enjoyed uh, enjoyed the the calling the JV game with me, and I hope that everybody enjoys the finished product once they see it. If you didn't see it live, SAR is going to be releasing it after the playoffs, probably probably Monday night after the champ uh, after championship game on Sunday for everyone to see. And so you get the chance to see it, to, to see the call, to, to watch the game, and just maybe get a sense of exactly how fun it was. But we're going to start off with that game. This was the first game of the night that I called, and it was pretty rough for the Canes with a bus ride that took them over the George Washington Bridge, delaying the game for about 30 minutes. Once the game actually began, it wouldn't get much better for them. A first period midway through, SAR getting a vast majority of the opportunities. Judah Fortgang picks up the ball at the center line and fired it top shelf, beating Andrew Marks for the first goal of the game. Time running out in the period. SAR on the power play. Jason Burian sent a low backhander from about 15 feet out that snuck under Mark's pads with four seconds to go to put the sting up to coming out of the first. Second period, the Canes would try to get back in the game. Kenny Shear, scoring important goals for Hank all year, moved into the SAR zone and snapped a shot under the crossbar that bounced right back out. The referees were right on top of it, though, and called the goal. For us, numerous replays at our booth, as you will see, would confirm that the call was correct, and Hank was right back in the game. 
Two minutes later, though, Hank, after building momentum, would find themselves in trouble. After taking a penalty, SAR's power play went to work, and it would be Gordy Kolb making a terrific play, moving Hank offenseman Maury Bauer as a screen, moving him right in front of Marks, and firing a shot to the net for the goal and a 3-1 lead. In the third, it would not take SAR long to add to their lead. Less than a minute in, Solomon Freilish put the shot across the goalie and into the opposite side of the net for the 4-1 lead. This thing would add to their lead with two goals within a minute of each other later on in the third. Kolb scoring his second, and Joey McGilner, my broadcast partner for the varsity game later, to, uh, adding his own to push the game out to its 6-1 final. So, SAR and DRS advanced, setting up a matchup that we have seen countless times in the playoffs over the last six years, which we'll get to later. The only game that you need to know about now is the one that happened last year between the two, where the Sting and Wildcats played a thrilling overtime game where SAR took out DRS in DRS 1-0. Most of the members of that game had now moved on to the varsity, as only three sophomores are currently on the Sting JV roster. So the freshmen for both sides looking to write their own version of history into the Yeshiva League books. Top two freshmen, uh, DRS netminder Jakey Friedman, and SAR's offenseman uh, Gordy Kolb squaring off in the rink, and early on the two would clash two minutes into the game, and Kolb would win that battle, snapping a shot by Friedman into the back of the DRS net for the one nothing SAR lead. The game would go back and forth for the next half a period until Judah Fortking sending the ball to Solomon Freilish on the breakaway. Friedman made the initial save, but the ball would hop over him and into the net for a 2-0 SAR lead. Early in the third, it would be Fortgang himself putting one off Friedman's mask and in for the commanding 3-0 margin. And this thing would add one more for good measure with Joey McGilner putting one in late to cap the scoring for the 4 nothing final. So now, SAR advances to their second-ever JV Championship game, last appearance being 10 years ago, 2005, a game in which they lost to the team they just beat DRS. So now we have our JV Championship matchup set, SAR and Ramam, the two number one teams of the respective divisions, both undefeated, SAR leading the West, Rambam leading the East, and you have uh, you have them meeting this Sunday in the first game of the doubleheader in Lawrence Middle School, the JV Championship game happening 1.30 at Lawrence Middle School in Lawrence, New York. Uh, Rambam going to their second consecutive championship game, SAR, as I said, going back to their first one in the last 10 years. Honestly, this is the matchup that people uh, probably expected to see at the beginning of the year uh, in the semi in their semifinal games uh, both teams sort of showed exactly what people expected the margin to be you know it was it's very close between the two when you look at it both Rambam and SAR defeated their respective opponents by almost the same margins that you had the teams uh, themselves win in the regular season uh, Rambam defeating DRS for nothing in the regular season SAR coming back to defeat Frisch by one in 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 Frisch in the second meeting that they took down uh, they also each team also defeated the the uh, their opponents one more time in that in the in the regular season span. So now you have the two the two most interesting teams I would say. Rambam, last year's uh, last year's 
um, darlings making it all the way to the finals. And you have SAR, sort of this year's version of Rambam, freshman heavy, very freshman heavy. Last year, uh, last year's Rambam team was run mostly by freshmen. He had a few uh, sophomore uh, sophomore role players, but for the majority, the the Harry Tannins, the Daniel Yitzchakis, the Daniel Lichters, the, the freshmen on the team last year really ruled it for Rambam, Avi Orlau. And this year, those guys are the sophomores. So you have this year's Rambam team, against last year's Rambam team, effectively. The question is, who is going to win? I, Rambam now takes on that TABC role from last year with the experience and with the, uh, with, the, with the play in Lawrence Middle School behind them. The question is, who has more talent? And honestly, like I just said, they, they just went toe-to-toe with their opponents that the other teams played, and they beat them by almost the same. So the truth is, this game is a coin flip. You're going to have two of the best players in the game facing off against each other. You're going to have Harry Tannen and Gordy Cole. You know, Harry Tannen, arguably the best sophomore in the game, and and Gordy Cole, arguably, although the way he's playing this year, I don't think it really is arguably at this point, the best uh, freshman in the game. So the question is going to be, which one is going to be able to take the uh, their team on their backs more? If Rambam comes out like they did tonight, though, against SAR, SAR now clicking on all cylinders, having not... Uh, having only, sorry, having only one goal in the playoffs so far. I, I don't know if Rambam's going to be able to survive it. I mean, Petro, Petro and Ned, Petro has played phenomenal this year, but ne- but Neowitz has done just the same, Jacob Neowitz. And if you're, it's going to come down to, and I, it is cliche, but it's going to come down to really who, which goalie is going to blink first. Uh, it's not going to be a one-goal game. It's not going to be a first-goal game. I think that with the talent out there on the uh, and the experience, Rambam is going to win this game. I think it'll be a close game. Do I think it'll be? Um, let me backtrack on that one goal call. Uh, I've been pretty on the money with a lot of my calls till this point. Um, we'll go into it in a couple of weeks, exactly what my calls were for some of the games. Some of them I said on the air, some not on the air. But uh, I, I think for the most part, this one is going to be a Rambam victory, and I think it's going to be, I would venture to say that that it could be a 3-1, 3-2 game. With the, even if it's the 3-1, it's an empty netter. I think that the teams are extremely close. I think the one difference is the experience factor. I think that when it comes down to it, Tannen, Orlau, Lichter, Yitzhaki, uh, the four of them and their, and their mates have been here before. They know the gym. They know what it's like. And SAR doesn't have that advantage of the of the uh, of the of the rink. Um, you know, they went into Frisch and they did a great job coming back in Frisch. I, I just don't see Rambam being as as uh, I'm not going to say as net challenged as Frisch was because Charlie Freilich was it was a formidable goalie all year. But I see Petro as being quite a step up from from Charlie Freilich. So I do not think that SAR will have the Ability, as good as they are, as great as they've been, as great as as Fort Gang has been, as great as Kolb has been, as great as McGillner has been, as great as Freilish has been, I think I just see Rambam being a little deeper and being a little more sure in the uh, in the key position. So I'm going to give Rambam this one. And again, that will be the first game of our doubleheader coming up this Sunday at 1.30 in Lawrence Middle School. All right, let's move on to varsity. Uh, let's remind you of how the varsity playoff brackets looked. First, East number 4, North Shore, and West number 5, Ramaz, with the winner facing West number 1, TABC. Uh, East number 1, in East number 2, DRS, 
would face off with West number three Kushner. In the other side of things, West number four MTA and East number five Rombaum for the right to play East number one Hafter and West number two SAR rematching with East number three Hank. In the play-in games, both West teams prevailed with MTA dropping Rambam 6-0 to set up a date with Hafter, and Ramaz beat North Shore 4-1 to meet up with TABC, a game played the next night in which TABC won 3-0 to advance to the semis, where they would face DRS, who defeated Kushner 4-0. Those two met up last night. Coming out of their game a few weeks ago, one thing was readily apparent, that DRS could do what no other team has done this season, hang with TABC for a full 36 minutes. I'm going to be completely honest, I did not get a chance to see much of this game. Uh, part of the plan was to go to Hafter for a period, go to Rambam for a period, and on the time in between, watch the TABC DRS game on my phone, uh, because it was the easiest way to get action from all three in. But... That didn't quite happen, given how hectic things were in Hafter. So I got snippets of it. I got the chance to catch a lot of it. I spoke with a lot of people. And ironically enough, even though the DRS-TABC game ended, uh, you know, it started after the Hafter the Hafter, uh, SAR game, there were some of the guys that were still in attendance for the finish of this one. So you keep getting a little bit of teasers of exactly how long this game went. But you're not going to know until, you know, really until we get to it in a couple of minutes. But the 3-3 tie in DRS would confirm that the Wildcats could make a run. And last night they showed exactly why they've always been in the conversation for championship contenders. TABC, their only blemish all season being that tie in DRS. Uh, TABC, the preseason favorites, the midseason favorites, the postseason favorites. Another semifinal game at home, but would they be able to erase the demons that haunted them last year where a 2-1 lead over eventual champion Hafter slipped away into a 3-2 overtime loss? If they were going to do it, though, uh, they would need to work their magic coming from behind. DRS opened the scoring in the first one. David Sofer pegged one home to put the Wildcats up one nothing. Uh, later on in the period, the hole would get worse. Matthew Mark put a backhander by Rami Levine to extend the lead to 2 to nothing. For TABC, this wasn't quite panic time yet. They've been down before, not so much by two goals, but one goal, and it would be a ball game again for them. So you, you had to imagine that TABC, with what they did all year and, and the ease in which they were able to come back against, a, uh, not come back, but to score on a lot of teams, that this would be a game at some point. Uh, middle of the period, they would get their chance when the Cats took a penalty, giving TABC a power play. But on the power play, a disaster struck for the storm. Sofer on the kill lifted the ball between two TABC defenders, chased it down into the TABC zone, and lifted it over Levine's glove for the three-nothing margin. The storm would try to mount a comeback when Ari Fuchs planted a goal to get TABC on the board and would press the entire third period. But Ari Guttenmacher and the DRS defense held strong, and with an open net, Leo Rubin put home. Uh, goal number four to ice the game and send DRS back to the finals and TABC home after dropping their second straight semifinal game on home court for the storm after the domination all year. It has got to be disappointing, but the matchups fell out that they would play the one team that could match up with them and give them a true game. And it did them in. So congrats to DRS who will look to make amends for the way last year ended up. But the question is who would their opponent be? 
in the other bracket. Both games were played over this week. And we're going to go back to Monday night with the second game of the uh, of the game that I called in SAR Hank. The second game of the JV Varsity true doubleheader between two between two schools, both games between two schools at the same point in the playoffs, which I still nobody has come over to me and said, hey Elliot, this has happened before. So I'm gonna go ahead and assume that it has never happened before that we've had two teams Two schools, sorry, two schools, each with a JV and a varsity team facing the other in the same gym on the same night. I know we've had it where, you know, we've had doubleheaders where teams would actually have, you know, where schools would face different teams where the JV would face Team A and the varsity would face Team B, School B. Never have had it before, I believe, where you've had them both facing School A. So, Monday night, uh, main, uh, the main event of the, uh, of that game that I had, was on the mic for, this time with Joey McGillner. Joey, uh, Joey McGillner doing a great job. The kid's got a bright future in broadcasting if he really wants to pursue it. I, I recommend you uh, you can listen to a couple of his games. He does a really, really good job, and calling the game with him was a lot of fun. In the pregame, I recapped the game that these two played earlier this year, the tie in Hank in December, where Hank, at home, jumped out to a two-goal lead and then watched this thing soar back into the game on two goals of their own. With this game shifting to SAR, Hank would not only be fighting the Sting, but would also be battling another opponent, the SAR rink. It would prove to play a factor in this one as the game went along, as you'll see when they release it. Um, Hank had major difficulty adjusting to the enclosure and could not figure the bounces or work the small space effectively, but it didn't stop them from making a game of it. Uh, After the last game between the two, we knew that Gillard Fortgang and Josh Geller would be the story. The goaltenders kept their teams in the game and made for an exciting day back in December, and the sense was that for Hank to have any chance in the Oval, Geller would need to be on top of his game. For the most part, he was, but when the other team has possession for almost twice the amount that your team does, it gets very hard to keep the lid shut. Midway through the first, Sting on the power play. Jacob Unger in the near corner sent a perfect pass to Sam Schwabe at the opposite post, the lefty slamming it in for a one nothing lead. The game would take a funny turn and follow the same path as the JV game for a bit. Time winding down in the period, Josh Weiss took a pass from Unger and turned it into gold, upping the lead to two with 14 seconds left in the first. The score would stay 2 nothing until the midway point of the second period. SAR deciding that they wanted to make the game harder on themselves, put themselves down two men with two penalties and a minute 10 of each other to give Hank a four on two. The Cans would not capitalize during the 20 seconds of the extra advantage, but just after the power play ended, Josh Wayne fed Ezra Kushner at the point for a slap shot to cut the lead to one. But the sting would not allow the period to end without the last word. A minute to go, Sefi Jonas found the back of the net to give SAR the 3-1 lead going into the break. The score would stay 3-1 for nearly 11 minutes until Josh Rosenberg would add a power play marker to put the sting up 4-1. But in truth, the score may as well have been 7-1. Outside of the power plays, Hank could barely muster pressure, and not being able to master the rink and find the proper passing lanes or keep the ball in the zone long enough to set up offense effectively on forking, it really did them in. You know, Hank was behind the eight ball, and they could sense that the difference in this game would be that rink, them coming in from their gym that the two teams played 
played in a few weeks ago, and it, it really, the, it really, they really were not well prepared for it. That's it's not anything on the team or the coaching. It's just something that's very hard to simulate, very hard to prepare for. And during the game, when you're facing a team that has already mastered it and already plays the style perfectly for it, if you're not going to be on top of your game early on, even as TABC found earlier this year, if you're not on top of their, your game early on and it takes you too long to figure it out. You're going to be behind the eight ball, and by the time you get started, you're already going to be way behind. So, now, this SAR team would find itself heading back to the semifinals. The team last appeared in the semifinal in 2012, when it defeated TABC 1-0 in overtime on a goal by Eitan Grossinger, but would then fall to DRS. As we said before, you'll see that uh, there's a storied history between SAR and DRS. Uh, they would fall to them in the finals. Ironically, the very next year, this squad as sophomores would reach the semis in JV and also lose to DRS. This year, they avoid DRS, but will face the winner of the game the next night between after and MTA. Back in January, I pointed to this as a potential matchup, and all the, out of all of the possible remaining games, the only one that I thought for the quarterfinals was ripe for an upset. Uh, last week, we discussed the physicality and size of the MTA Lions and the speed of the Hafter Hawks offense, and talked about the dead evenness between the pipes for Hafter's Ryan Gluck and MTA Shooky Weinstein. Uh, the setup of this game just oozed potential for the best game of the round, and it did not disappoint. This game was physical, it was intense, the crowd was alive with dueling Let's Go Hawks and MTA chants. Both teams had shots from in close and shots from afar, but the one thing that we did not have after the first period was a goal. One thing it did not have was a penalty. Both were taken care of midway through the period, uh, the second period. 3.07 into the middle period, Liam Frankel took a penalty, putting the Lions on the power play. MTA went to work, but could not crack through into the hafter net. As the clock counted down, though, the tide turned in favor of the team with three. Only a second after Frankel's penalty expired, with Frankel still in his defensive zone, given the makeup of the hafter gym, Eric Weichner took a pass from Gillard cursing at the line in his offensive zone and planted it by Weinstein for a one nothing hafter lead. But MTA's defense that they had all year carrying them on both ends of the floor to get back into this one. Two and a half minutes after the hafter marker, Zev Markowitz picked a hafter player's pocket, stepped up to the half-court line, and ripped a laser top shelf to tie the game at one. The next period and a half would be some of the most intense action of the season, with the crowd hanging on every shot and going wild with every save. Halfway through the third, there was still no change in the score, and all minds turned to the last playoff matchup between these two, where a nothing-nothing tie went into an extra session. Keep that in mind, folks. Um, that's going to be a that was very big theme of the night. And Eitan Rosenfeld in that game would upset the then Flames on the road to MTA's first title of the new century. Would the Lions be able to knock off the top team in the East and advance to play SAR in the semis? 4-4 left in the game. The MTA defense misplayed the ball deep in their zone. Hawk, Emil Schertz picked the ball up all alone, faked nearside, got Weinstein to commit, moved to his backhand, and placed it by the outstretched blocker to give the Hawks a 2-1 lead. MTA would double the pressure and would attempt to amount a comeback and get an opportunity to tie. With 2.15 left, Ami Rosenfeld took the ball around a hafter player and went to put it around a second, but Evan Fader knocked the ball from Rosenfeld, moved in on a 2-1-1, fed the ball across the crease to Gillard Kirstein, who slammed it home to put hafter up 3-1, crushing MTA's hopes of an upset and a second championship in five years. So, while there was no upset here, the game proved to be the most entertaining game of that round, and definitely exceeded the hype that almost 
almost saw a number one seed get taken down at home. It begs the question for the Hawks, you know, was this purely a matchup issue for them, or will have to find itself in trouble when dealing with a better Western team? We got the chance to find that answer last night in Hafter when the Hawks and Sting met up. Uh, the usual question, of course, surrounding SAR was, could they play outside the rink against the top team? In SAR's games on the road against playoff teams, the Sting finished with only two wins, and one of those was in another rink. So in effect, in games in a gym against playoff teams, SAR had only won one of three games. Hafter had been nearly out, uh, had uh, nearly perfect at home, only dropping the overtime game in DRS in the last week of the regular season. Now, when I say that this game was spectacular, I, I mean that I don't think that any game can or will top it this year just because of how the game ended up. Um, Let's just start out with the first period. First period, SAR came out on fire. They outplayed uh, Hafter. They were technically, fundamentally sound. They, like I said in the when, uh, on the broadcast uh, last Monday night, SAR was and is a team that is made up of a team. They there is no one superstar. Despite you know the way Gilad Fortgang plays, one of the best goaltenders in the league, Jacob Unger, one of the best offensemen, one of the best distributors, and a, a solid defensive core, Azriel uh, Lavi, Sam Schwabe. There there's so many people that you can mention on that team because it really is a team. There is no one main player. So the fact of the matter is it bodes well when you have a group that can play well as a unit. And they really showed it in the first period. Uh, 6.14 left in the first. Daniel Best took a cross pass from Jesse Schanzer and slammed it home to give SAR the one nothing lead. So not only were they playing well, but they had a lead now going into the break. Fast forward three minutes left in the second period. Hafter on the power play. Sam Schechter shot a ball into the far corner. Ball trickled out to a Hafter offenseman who tapped it to Jake Berger, who slammed it home to tie the game at one. So this is three minutes left in the second period. Um, let me just be the first to say that what happened over the next, I, I think the, I think it's three hours was by far the most monumental and, and interesting occurrence of the year. Um, game went on and on and on and on. And, when I say that this may very well have been the longest game in Yeshiva League history, it very well could have been. I remember back to uh, when I was very like really starting out when YLS Radio was still on the air, and uh, I think it was 2007. I believe it was 2007. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. JEC and Flatbush played a first-round game in the playoffs that went into a fourth overtime. I don't know exactly when that game ended in the fourth overtime. Or if it, I believe it went to a fourth overtime, may have been a third overtime, fourth overtime, somebody please, uh, maybe one of the players in that game could correct me. But I think this one topped that. I think this one went on longer. Yeah, that's right. We went to four overtimes. Let me tell you, by the end of the first overtime, players on both teams were gassed. Ryan Gluck looked like he had about enough. Uh, Evan Fader uh, had played most of that first overtime, and it, it it went on. There was you play played two full games plus on this night, and it was just it was what I said about the MTA game. Double that for this one, just double it. It was that spectacular. Um, crowd was phenomenal. Everybody was hanging on every play. The shots were coming, and you you really thought the game could have ended at any moment. Now, I'm 
not playing, I'm not giving this game as much, uh, as much, uh, time as it should, because we gotta talk about other things tonight, and I really wish we didn't. Maybe if I get a chance next week, I'll, I'll talk more about it, or, or whatnot, but this game was phenomenal. And the only thing I can say is that while, like I said at the, like I said in the intro, some people might have said, you know, we feel sorry for the kids, glad that it ended, and, you know, glad that we can go home because everybody got out of the gym, you know, really only a couple of hours ago. Right now I'm sitting at home. It's 2.42 in the morning. So really, only about three hours ago, we left the gym at, I left the gym at 11.45. And, you know, but the truth is, some may go home thinking this was by far the best game they had ever seen, and it would be very hard to argue. It would be very hard to argue. Uh, I one of the I instantly thought back to um, to one of the first championship games I had ever had the chance to be involved in, and that was a varsity championship between DRS and TABC that went to double overtime. Uh, that TABC won, and I honestly told this game I, I didn't think that there would be much competition for that game. This one rivals that. Uh, I think the fact that that was a championship made it all the better, but uh, this game was de- is definitely one that will go into the top five. Uh, first for longevity, but also because of what was, what was at stake, how well the teams played. And while some people might bristle at me for saying this, much like the Rambam game, uh, the, team that, the team that got outplayed won. So credit to the goaltending, credit to the two goalies who took two overtime games away from teams that probably deserved it more, Daniel Petrakowski of Rambam and JV, and Ryan Gluck for Hafter, who played a phenomenal game. Gilad Fortgang played an amazing game. In the fourth overtime, 7:39, and a play very similar to how last year's semifinal ended, Gilad Kirstein took a pass from behind the net and slammed it home from five feet out to send Hafter onto the finals to defend last year's crown. Uh, so, after praising the West all year long and talking about how close it could have been to four West teams in the semifinals, the championship will feature two East teams. But not just any two East teams, DRS and Hafter, our our top rivalry. Um, there's so much to say about the rivalry between these two. So much history. So let's just cut it down a bit. Let's talk about last year's final. DRS up one nothing. After coming back in the third period, after a team had not beaten that DRS squad um, all the way through from sixth grade up to to twelfth grade in any competition, coming back in overtime, uh, Ari Barrett's uh, nailing home the game winner to give Hafter the championship. So now Hafter getting back, getting the opportunity to defend their crown. Um, and the truth is, one might not have expected DRS to be in this situation. Uh, over the, I mean, we talked about over the summer about the, about the switches. We talked about Evan Fader switching last year. Evan Fader, arguably top player, one of the top offensemen in the league. And then you have the two switches uh, from hockey this past year, this past off season, uh, you want to call it past summer, Sam Schechter and Gilad Kirstein, now both playing for, for Hafter. And the truth is, we're in the exact same spot. There's no TABC, there's no SAR, there's no Frisch, there's no nobody else. It's DRS and Hafter, the same two teams we ended off with last year. Looking at this year's matchups between the two, one goal games. Hafter went into DRS, took a one nothing, took it sorry, took a two a two one win, and then DRS went into Hafter, defeated Hafter four three in overtime. This game, like the like the JV game, as close as you can get. I think though the difference is DRS is on a roll now. DRS has in a month span 
stepped up to TABC twice, defeated Hafter, is on a huge roll now. Hafter is coming off of two extremely close games against West teams um, that, you know, one might say could have gone better for them. But the fact of the matter is DRS is just on fire now. I'm going to put I'm going to put this one in DRS's hands. DRS comes out, play the game they've been playing for the last month. This is their championship to win. Um, if you force me to put a score on it, I'm going to put I'll put a a, a two one game. I firmly believe that this is going to be a close game. It's going to be a grinding. Uh, it's going to be a a dirty fist. Not not so much physical in a, in an uncle, in an unclean and a and a penalty sense, but just two teams that really dislike each other. A rivalry game, and two teams that both want what's at stake, and that's the championship crown. Uh, that happens this Sunday, championship Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday, March 8th, Lawrence Middle School. Uh, hope to see you all there. I know that it's going to be an exciting day for me, and I hope that you all can join in. Action starts 1.30 with the JV uh, finals, and then we'll probably commence around 4 o'clock or so with the Varsity Championship. So, four teams, Rambam, SAR, the two top teams in the JV uh, West and East, respectively, and then you got the two biggest rivals in Yeshiva League and Yeshiva League Hockey, and that's DRS and Hafter. Looking forward to a great Sunday in that regard. Let's move over to basketball. Uh, Varsity and JV basketball will hold their championships in two weeks on Sunday the 15th. Uh, the playoffs, starting off with Varsity basketball, the playoffs were set up as follows. In the West, Frisch and TABC got the buys as 1 and 2 respectively. Heschel met JEC in the 3-6 and Hillel and Ramaz in the 4-5. And over in the East, Hafter and DRS got the buys. North Shore hosted Hank in, uh, in the 3-6 game, and MDY hosted YDE in 4-5. In the first round, Heschel defeated JEC 56-42, and Hillel dropped Ramaz 48-45. Over in the East, Mag and David toppled YDE 66-45, and North Shore dominated Hank 47-22 to set up the following brackets for the quarterfinals. In one half, East number one Hafter hosted West number four Hillel, and West number two TABC squared off with East number three North Shore in a rematch of last year's uh, quarterfinal matchups. And in the other, West number one Frisch met up with East number four Mag and David, while East number two DRS faced West number three Heschel. Three of the games happened Wednesday night, with one finishing off the round this past Monte Chavez. So let's take a look at how these games went down. First, the Wednesday night trio. We'll start off with the top bracket with Hafter and Hillel and some interesting news right off the bat. J. Aaron and Ari Witkis, the announcers for that game, informed us that Hafter would be playing this game and potentially the rest of the playoffs without his best and arguably the league's top player this year, A.B. Perlow. How would the lack of Perlow affect the Hawks early on? Probably a lot less offense and a lot lacking in the rebounding department, as Hillel had several second-chance opportunities but could not capitalize, and they were held at two points over the first seven minutes of the game. Hafter cannot make much more of it, though, only scoring seven in the quarter as they took a 7-4 to lead into the first break. 
Sasha Stern would open up the second quarter with a three, and Hampton would bounce back and forth between a four- and six-point lead, and held a 16-10 to lead with ten seconds to go in the quarter, before Nathan Beebe pulled down a rebound, took the ball the length of the court, went behind the back, and laid it in to cut the lead to 16-12. But a technical foul with .4 seconds left on the clock allowed Jonathan Greenberg to nail one of two. A catch-and-shoot did not go, and Hafter took a five-point lead into the break. Third quarter action, Hafter broke the game wide open, scoring 12 of the first 15 points before the halfway point of the quarter, thanks to a stifling press defense taking Hillel out of the game, building a 16-point lead, almost doubling Hillel's output, 35-19, to going into the fourth. Hillel would take a small bite out of the lead and bring it down to 11 at one point, but the Hawks would bring it back up and close out the game with a 15-point spread. The final score, 49-34, to keep the Hawks out of trouble without Perlow. Jonathan Greenberg scored 24 for the Hawks, and Sammy Mandel added 12 in the win. That same night out in Jersey, TABC and North Shore met up in their quarterfinal matchup. Take you back to last year in North Shore, where the Stars took a 22-6 lead into the second half, only to see TABC come all the way back from a 21-point deficit to tie the game with 103 left in the fourth. The game will be remembered for its controversial finish when North Shore held the ball for a final shot and saw Avery Lubin fouled and sent to the line to win the game, leaving a sour taste in the mouth of TABC fans. Now the game would move over to TABC as the Storm were the second seed in the West and the Stars the third seed in the East. Game tied at six early on. TABC reeled off six straight points by Ozzie Fine and another two by Tzvi Rutblatt to cap a 12-0 run with a 14-6 lead. Josh Hecht would end the run, hitting the back end of two free throws with under 10 seconds to go, and TABC would take a 14-7 lead into the second quarter of play. The new quarter would see TABC take a 23-12 lead on a solo Shulman 3, but North Shore would shorten the gap to 5. TABC would score on two consecutive trips to push the lead back up to 8, with just over 2.5 to go in the half. With under 10 seconds to go, though, TABC up 28-22, Storm holding for 1. Ty Gersberg drove the lane but could not hit the layup. On the way back, Cody Cohen heaved up a 3 from center court and missed, but was fouled in the process and would go to the line for 3 shots. Cohen would hit two of three, giving North Shore a 12-5 run to finish the quarter, and TABC would lead 28-24 heading into the halftime break. After Hecht hit a foul shot to start the half, Dan Poleoff drained two consecutive threes, and Shulman added one of his own for good measure to push the score out to 37-25 Storm, with five minutes left in the third. Ryan Paul would get hot, knocking down his third three of the game to get North Shore started again, but Gersberg would add two points to keep the deficit in double digits. TABC up 11 halfway through the third and looked well on their way to avenging last year's upset. But just when he thought TABC had the game in control, the Stars hit three free throws and Paul added another three-pointer, and TABC now held only a five-point lead, 39-34, with 2.29 to go in the third. A minute later, Cohen would grab a rebound that put it back in on his own to cut the deficit to three, and North Shore was one possession away from tying up the ball game. Hecht would hit two free throws, and just like that, an 11-point lead was cut to one in a three-minute span. Under a minute left in the quarter, Moshe Brum appeared to give TABC some breathing room with a bucket, but just at the buzzer, Max Setton would drain a three, and we would go into the, th- into the fourth, tied at 41. 
during the broadcast, Yeshua Siegel, son of our network namesake, doing commentary for TABC, pointed out that this was exactly what happened in the first game that they played in the regular season. And it was exactly what I was thinking as the game was going on. I, I happened to be at that first game, and the Storm took a huge lead early, slowed down the pace, and let it slip right through their fingers. Would that happen here? 30 seconds in, Paul would hit another three, and for the first time since the early stages of the first, just like in that first game, North Shore held the lead 44-41. to Halfway through the quarter, North Shore still up three. Brum sank two free throws to cut the lead to one, 46-45. But with 3.44 left to play in the quarter, big man Shua Naor, playing Cohen tough all night long, picked up his fourth foul, putting him in danger of fouling out. Cohen would hit one of two to stretch the lead to two, 47-45. At this point, North Shore just took over this game. Tigersburg would go to the line for free throws, and would hit one of two to cut the lead to three, but that would be the closest the home team would get the rest of the night, and the last points they would score for the rest of the game and season as well. After Seton extended the lead to four from the line, Gersberg drove the lane, laid it in, and appeared to have drawn the foul, but it was waved off as Gersberg himself was hit with the violation, and Norshaw would turn it into two points on the other end with 32 seconds. The Stars had a six-point lead at that point. Another Norshaw layup and three foul shots later, and Norshaw down 11 at one point in the third, had come all the way back to upset the storm by that same margin, 57-46. to 46. So, for the fifth time this year, we will see North Shore and Hafter square off. Will A.B. Perlow play? Even if he does, will he be at 100%? Will North Shore take advantage of it? We'll talk more about this next week, right here on The Court Report. On the other side of the playoff tree, the games were not exactly as close. East number 2 DRS hosted West number 3 Heschel in a game that may as well have been called Gabriel Leifer Domination Night. After Heschel hit four shots from long range to take a 12-6 lead five minutes into the game, DRS settled down on the perimeter and held the Heschel outside shots under control for the remainder of the evening. Heschel appeared to have a six-point lead leaving the first, but a clutch three-pointer by last year's championship MVP Joav Deutsch as the clock wound down cut the lead to three at 14-11. After a Heschel turnover to start the second quarter, Leifer dropped a lay-in to pull the game within one. Two minutes later, Deutsch would do it again from the wing, nailing another three to take a two-point lead. DRS would outscore Heschel 9-6 the rest of the half and would take a five-point lead going into the break. The Cats would continue their run, dropping the first eight points of the second half and building a 33-20 lead midway through the third quarter. Heschel would score only three points in that frame, with DRS holding them to a big fat zero in the field goals column in the entire period, while dropping 13 points of their own. That run would end 30 seconds into the fourth, but by that point they were already down 15, Heschel that is, and with Gabriel Leifer knocking down shot after shot, the Heat had no answer. At the end of the night, Leifer would almost outscore the entire Heschel team on his own, dropping 32 points in a 55-33 DRS victory. In the other quarterfinal, this one was over real early. In a high-scoring affair by playoff standards, Frisch bounced Mag and David 72-53. Frisch's high-octane offense is clicking at just the right time, and they roll into the semis, having scored 50 or more points in the last four games, the only team remaining to be able to claim that feat. This meant that our two semifinal games were set, and both of them are rematch games. One of them, 
of many rematches. In one semifinal, West number one Frisch hosts East number two DRS. That game tips off in about an hour in Frisch. In that game that the two teams played a few weeks ago, Frisch rode a hot second quarter start to jump out to an eight point lead and a stifling press to take a lead at the half. But DRS stormed all the way back to take their first lead with three minutes to go in the third frame. However, the Cougars would take a one point lead into the last session of play. For the majority of the quarter, the score was within a bucket with three points being the widest margin. Frisch would hold a one-point lead with 1.30 left and Leifer at the line to tie it, but he would miss the foul shots and a Frisch bucket would push the lead back out to three. Leifer would earn an N1 with 18 seconds left in the game, but could not capitalize and Frisch ran out the game from the line. In truth, this looked to be the toughest competition that Frisch had faced all season and the closest that they had come to being knocked off. Granted, it was in DRS... And this game tonight will be in Frisch, but there stands a great possibility that DRS could walk into Frisch. And much like its JV team did last year, as the juniors on the team uh, know well, and walk out with an upset victory. The other game will be East number 1 Hafter hosting East number 3 uh, North Shore. That game is next Tuesday at 8 p.m., and we'll preview that next week right here on The Court Report. Moving over to JV basketball, the following were the brackets for the JV playoffs. In the West, SAR and Frisch got the buys at 1-2. and two. MTA squared off against JEC in the 3-6 game, and Ramaz met up with TABC in the 4-5 game. In the East, Flatbush and Hafter got the buys at 1-2. and two. North Shore faced Rambam in 3-6, and DRS met up with Hank in 4-5. After the first round of play, MTA and TABC advanced in the West to play Hafter and Flatbush respectively, while North Shore and DRS did the same to play Frisch and SAR, setting up the following tree. West number 1 SAR and East number 4 DRS, with the winner facing the winner of East number 2 Hafter and West number 3 MTA. On the other side, East number 1 Flopwish and West number 4 TABC with the winner facing the winner of West number 2 Frisch and East number 3 North Shore. Each side had its own fair share of drama, and in the end, there was one upset and one very near close call. On one side of the tree, DRS and SAR met up with the Sting knocking off the defending champions 39-34 to advance after they scored the first 10 points of the game. Daniel Wazotsky poured in the 16 to lead SAR. The Sting will now move on to play, in an upset, the MTA Lions. MTA advances after having knocked off Hafter 35-32 in their quarterfinal game. With Hafter up 32-29, Benjamin Buckbinder drilled a long three to tie the game with 50 seconds remaining. The game remained tied as the clock wound down, but with only a few ticks left on the clock, Buckbinder unleashed another dagger from beyond the arc to pull off the victory and stun the Hafter fans. SAR and MTA will meet up next Tuesday night at 7.30. In the other half of the tree, Frisch easily advances, like their varsity brethren, topping the 70-point mark with a 71-43 drubbing of North Shore. The other matchup was not so easy, and for a few minutes, it looked as if a western sweep was a possibility when TABC traveled to Flatbush on Thursday night. Midway through the fourth, Flatbush held a comfortable 11-point lead, but it dwindled away, and with under a minute to go, it was now down to two. Flatbush, plagued by a bad case of turnovers, allowed the storm to get back.
back into the game and would pay for it. With ten seconds to go, Kevin Haddad was fouled, sending him to the line. Haddad would miss the front end of the one-on-one, and a mad scramble would result in a jump ball that was originally given to Flatbush. But after some contentious moments, the officials changed it to TABC ball, and the Storm would have a chance to tie. The Storm inbounded the ball with 6.1 seconds to go on the clock, and it would wind up in the hands of Mo Proctor, who dribbled it to about 30 feet out, put up the ball, and airballed. Now, whether or not it was on purpose remains to be seen, but the ball fell in the hands of a TABC player who put it up with one second left, and at the buzzer, the ball rimmed in to tie the game at 44, and we would go to overtime. In the overtime session, Flatbush held a four-point lead with under three minutes to go. Mo Proctor would nail one free throw to bring the, the lead to three. Proctor would get the ball on the next TABC possession and launch a long three, miss, then get caught looking as Louis Zarif received a long toss over Proctor's head for a lay-in and a five-point lead. TABC would cut it back to three on the next possession, but that would be as close as they would get as the foul parade was on and Flatbush would go on to win 57-49. to so, Frisch, the 2013 JV champions, and Flatbush, the 2014 JV runners-up, will now square off for the right to advance to the finals. That game has yet to be scheduled, but we can easily assume that it won't be before this coming weekend. If it happens before our next report, we will have the results for you on next week's court report, leading up to the championships on March 15th in the Max Turn Athletic Center on the campus of Yeshiva University. Oh, wow. We are really just about out of time. Sorry, girls. Um, looks like we'll not be able to get to the girls this week, so I will recap all the girls next week uh, before their championship games. Uh, again, I apologize, but we really are out of time, so thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to us on this Tuesday night. Uh, we'll be doing live the Tuesday nights from now on. I mean live, I mean that it will be our actual shows, and the encores will be Sunday night. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great night. Looking forward to great championship games starting this coming Sunday. Have a good one, everyone.